This is episode 51 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and joining me to recap the Edmonton Oilers' thrilling overtime win in Game 5 of the Battle of Alberta is a good friend of mine and the host of the Heavy Hockey podcast, Michael Hebert. Michael, how's it going tonight? It's going great. Thanks for having me, Eric. Yeah, thanks for being back on the show. Uh, Honestly, you know, I I couldn't be happier right now. I'm sure you're feeling the same way. Well, I haven't, I haven't slept much since I, yeah, I'm pumped. Like it is, it's pretty much all that's on my mind right now is bring on the abs. Yeah. I mean, look, we're obviously both huge Oilers fans and, uh, after enduring years of losing, it, it just feels unbelievable that the Oilers are headed to the Western conference final for the first time in 16 years. And what makes it even sweeter is that they got there by beating their provincial rivals four straight times. Uh, Michael, that was easily the Oilers' biggest win since Game 6 of the 2006 Stanley Cup Final. But I want to know, where does this win over the Flames rank in your lifetime as an Oilers fan? Well, you know, I mean, there is... in. In my mind, there's nothing bigger than the Battle of Alberta outside of the Stanley Cup. So the Stanley Cup would be big, but the Battle of Alberta is is second second best to me. This is to me this is um, this is right up there in in terms of wins. Although I I'd have to say that um, you know there have been some pretty exciting Oilers wins in in my history. Two thousand and six had a had a couple of them uh, back in the you know of course late eighties and, and early nineties. Uh, that I, you know, vaguely remember. Um, nothing's as as uh, fresh. There's, it's probably a little bit of recency bias in my memory to to say last or uh, two nights ago was the um, was the biggest ever. But uh, it certainly certainly felt great. I mean, I, you know, as as everybody who knows me knows, I've got two favorite teams, the <laughs> Oilers and whoever's playing the Flames. And last night they were the same team, or two nights ago, and and so this was huge. Yeah. And I mean, I'm similar to you in a way, like when I first started watching hockey in the mid to late nineties, the Oilers gave us a few upsets over the Dallas stars that were uh, really, you know, memorable moments for me as a kid. And obviously uh, the Oilers run to the final in 2006 was magical. That came, that team, I mean, they came within a game of winning the cup when they weren't even supposed to win a single game in the playoffs. I I have so many great memories from that year. And even in 2017, they had some very memorable playoff victories as well. But uh, for the Oilers to beat the flames in the first playoff battle of Alberta in more than three decades and advance to the conference final, that would have to be right near the top of my list with Hemsky's goal to eliminate the Red Wings in 2006 and Pisani's shorthanded overtime winner against the Hurricanes in the final. Yeah, I mean, the uh, Pisani goal was pretty pretty awesome, wasn't it? I mean, that's... Um... It was, and, and Craig McTavish channeled his uh, inner Glenn Sather there, turning around and signaling to the uh, the crowd in Carolina after that goal. I don't know if you remember that famous clip of uh, Sather when Wayne Gretzky scored the shorthanded slap shot goal in Game 2 of the 1988 Smythe Division Final, and uh, Sather turns around and sort of fist pumps to the Flames faithful at the Saddle Dome. Yeah, no, and, you know, that, those like those moments right are pretty pretty amazing and that's and that's maybe the hardest part that i have 
with adding this into that. Like, I, I don't know that there was. Hi, was there was there maybe McDavid's celebration? Was there something specifically iconic about the end of the game? Maybe it was McDavid's celebration. I mean, his. I've I've been saying this is the most genuine McDavid we've ever we've ever yeah. seen in in a long time. Well, well as I kind of mentioned, like the, yes, the celebration was awesome, but um, winning a game in overtime in your biggest rival's building. Uh, the fact that it was the best players scoring the goal. Uh, there there are so many factors here. Plus to win four straight games. I, I know it, it won't go down in the books as a sweep because the Flames won the first game. But uh, I just think after not playing them for so many years, to finally have that moment where you go head to head and it was such a convincing victory, that is what's going to make this uh, a, a victory that Oilers fans are going to remember forever. Yeah. Yeah. And there, you know what? There's a, it, you know, there's the whole flames aspect. There's, there's the, you know, the con the controversial disallowed goal. There's a number of things to remember about the game that'll make it memorable. Um, I, you know, I, I love that it was in five games, right? I mean, it was outside of the first game. It was a sweep. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I had, I had Oilers in seven. I just felt that the way McDavid's been playing in the playoffs this year, he wasn't going to be de denied and that they would eventually uh, come out on top. But I didn't think they'd get it done this quickly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I <laughs> totally agree. Totally agree with you. It was, uh, it was something else, wasn't it? I mean, um, yeah, I just, I, I keep thinking about it and um yeah, I was trying to think, I mean, because you, of course, you, you said it a couple times, this was the greatest, um, you thought would be the greatest win. Uh, and I, and I have so many up there. Um, the one that I, that always comes to mind for me is when Edmonton came back in the Dallas series, they ended up winning the, in seven games. If you remember 97, I don't know if you'd remember that. Yeah, but. that was the first year I started watching hockey with Todd Marchant scoring the OT winner in Dallas. Yeah, well, the 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 one though that I re out of that series was Game Three, and Dallas uh, was up three nothing going into the third period, and the Oilers scored three straight goals late in the third to send it to OT, and Kelly Buckberger ended up getting the overtime winner. Yeah, and it was and it was fantastic, and um, there's so many things I remember about that. The uh, arena was empty. Because <laughs> I think a, a lot of winner. people had, and I've heard, um, I've had another guest on the show who's talked about that too and said it, it, the fans started uh, just filing out after, you know, uh, there was about five minutes left in the game. And uh, I think some people were trying to get back in, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they people were trying to get back in. We were watching it. Um, I was in university at the time and we were watching it at uh, a house uh, on campus in Edmonton. And a couple of our friends were at the game and they showed up to all of us crowded around the TV wondering what was going on. And we're saying, we're watching OT. And they were, they were of course, at the game. Uh, so, yeah, it was like phenomenal. That, that So that, you know, they're, they're just, hey, look, you know what this tells me is it's, it's great to be an Oilers fan. That's about what it what it <laughs> boils down to is it's great to be an Oilers fan that, you know, it, there's a collection of great games and this is just one of them. I mean, there's not many franchises in the league uh, that have that many sort of iconic games in their history. 
Um, and we did it just like this season. We did it with having, you know, um, in the middle of all of that, a really crappy, <laughs> crappy sort of uh, time, right? And uh, this season kind of mimics the whole Oilers history, if you will, uh, having that um, November, December that we did in yeah. January. Uh, this team was was well accustomed to come from behind victories uh, all season, and uh, uh, Game 5 was no different. And let's look back at Game 5 now. Uh, as I mentioned, the Oilers erased a 2-0 deficit in the second period thanks to goals from Darnell Nurse, Jesse Pugliarvi, and Zach Hyman that briefly put the Oilers in front 3-2. However, the Flames responded with a pair of quick goals to regain a 4-3 lead before Evan Bouchard scored to tie the game at 4 again, and that would hold up through regulation. And in the extra frame, Connor McDavid scored the overtime winner as the Oilers won the game 5-4 and the series 4-1 at the Scotia bank saddle dome michael we couldn't have asked for a better ending to the battle of alberta than mcdavid scoring the overtime winner could we no absolutely not and and uh, you know i mean i pushed this on to anybody was there anybody else you expected to score it i mean i he comes no. up big and he hadn't had a point the whole game i just kind of you know i knew i felt there was never a point at which i felt unsure that the Oilers were going to come away with a victory. I just felt like it was going to be McDavid and it was just a matter of when. 100%. I even tweeted uh, during the intermission between the third period and overtime that this would be a perfect opportunity for McDavid to just have a, a legacy moment and, and score uh, a huge goal to eliminate the Oilers' arch rival and that's what ended up happening. And, and I mean... Ever since he arrived in Edmonton in 2015, McDavid has always displayed a flair for the dramatic and, mm -hmm. and, a, and a killer instinct in the biggest moments. And after being held off the score sheet all night, you just got the feeling that McDavid wasn't going to be denied an OT. And uh, just over five minutes into overtime, Leon Dreisaitl picks up the puck along the half wall. He spins around and got the puck right to McDavid all alone just above the hash marks. And when the best player in the world has a little bit of open ice in the high slot, there's a good chance he's going to make you pay. And that's exactly what he did going post and in for the biggest goal of his life. And the celebration after was iconic. Uh, he did the same celebration after scoring the insurance marker against the Kings in mm -hmm. game seven too. And uh, that picture should be a poster on every kid's wall in Edmonton for the next 10 years. I mean, it, it's one for the ages. We're, uh, you know, we're so fortunate to be able to watch him. And I, here's, you know, the, the thing about that goal that strikes me the most, though, is, is that's probably, I mean, it was, it was a nice Connor McDavid goal. But going into this series, all we heard was how, you know, Calgary, not just offensively were they, you know, one of the top teams in the league, but they were really a shutdown team. They, like, whether it's Dreisaitl and McDavid magic, or, you know, or what it was. I mean, you couldn't, Goudreau was skating a different direction. Kachuk was in no man's land and McDavid was in the slot about as open as McDavid ever gets. Um, I, you know, to me that, you know, that, that was, it was a highlight reel because only McDavid puts it in the right spot to, to, for the game winner in that type of a clutch situation. But he yeah. certainly, he certainly scored a lot nicer goals than that and worked a lot harder for them. Um, but that one just struck me as, you know, 
maybe it was a defeated team in Calgary. I don't uh, know. He's definitely scored nicer goals. Like that won't end up on one of the the top ten uh, highlight goals of his career. But in terms of the importance of the goal, to uh, a goal that gets his team to the final four. I, I mean, he, in that aspect, it's more important than any other goal he ever scored. I mean, he's he's hit 43 times in the NHL. Uh, he's absolutely dangled some defensemen and goaltenders and scored some gorgeous mm-hmm. end-to-end rush goals. But just to get this team over the hump and put them into the conference final, something that he had not done in his seven-year NHL career, from that aspect, you you have to put this at the top in terms of uh, in terms of importance. Well, and there's and you know there's only ten percent of the maybe ten percent of the players in the league that um, can score that goal at that at that time. I mean, granted, you know, it, like he's like I said, he was open, he's in the slot, he had a clean shot, but we're talking such a clutch moment to put that puck exactly where he needs to put it. And and just be there, right? Like, just know that Drysaitel is going to get it to him, and uh, and you know get the shot. He got the shot off really quick. It's in the right spot. And and while we, um, you know, as Oilers fans, we had a good chance to make fun of Markstrom. Markstrom was a Vesna candidate this year, and beating Markstrom, you know, from you know up in a slot like that's not necessarily that easy. And McDavid got it done at. Maybe the hardest. That's why I say maybe ten percent. You know, most players I'd say put that right in the bread basket. Not yeah, him. And, not at that time. And if you look at all the training that he's done in his life, like McDavid's really done a lot of skill training with that uh, PEP program out in Toronto, and um, just the way that he was able to do a backwards crossover to get himself into that shooting position. It, it just shows how phenomenal his skills are. Dreisaitl just had to make that little quick pass. Connor was at the top of the circle when he received it, and he was skating backwards at the time. But because his first step is so much quicker than everyone else, and that he's able to accelerate uh, from a, a backwards stance into a shooting position, that caught the goaltender off guard a little bit. And then obviously he has such a quick release that he put it in a perfect spot post and, and in the back of the net. You just, you, you couldn't have drawn it up any better. Oh yeah, absolutely not. And, and the two guys that to, to get it done, I mean, they've been getting it done for so long in Edmonton, but now at this point in their, in their career, at this point in the playoffs, you know, it just, Hey, I, I mean, you know, we couldn't be, I couldn't be more excited. You, I'm, sure, I'm certain it's the same for every Oilers fan. And, oh, and we, we all, but we always knew what we had, right? I mean, I, I feel well, this, like this is the playoffs where people really are. I mean, if they, they noticed McDavid before, but I always feel like they were trying to unseat him somehow, right? Like, say, you know, uh, he, you know, it could be player X is better than McDavid or, or otherwise and, and dry title, yeah. same thing, but I think this is their playoffs to shine. Right. And McDavid's overtime goal also extended his point streak in the playoffs to eight games and gave him a league leading 26 points in just 12 games. I mean, he's averaging over two points per game in the playoffs, Michael. And he was also just one point shy of tying Wayne Gretzky's NHL record for most consecutive multi-point games in a playoff year. Uh, He became only the fourth player in NHL history to record seven straight in game four against the Flames. But 
even though he's producing offense at a historic rate in the playoffs, I don't think he cares about his numbers at all. He's just driven to win, and the only thing he cares about is bringing the Stanley Cup back to Edmonton this year. I yeah, I couldn't agree more. He's he's at a whole different level, and you know I I I think there's a lot of factors going into that, but I I do feel like this is you know, a part of his game that we started to see with about a month left in the season. Like I've, I've been saying it about a month left in the season that we're starting to see playoff McDavid. And I don't think we ever have. I don't think we've, we've seen him elevate to the, well, well we know, I know we haven't because we haven't seen this in, you know, 30 years. Right. So if you go back and look at the final 25 games of each of his seasons, in the NHL, those are that's the most productive period of his season year after year. His numbers just always go up down the stretch. Um, the the best that he ever produced was last season uh, during the the pandemic shortened year, where he had well, I think fifty two points in the final twenty five games. Uh, once again, averaging over two points per game. You know at that big of a, t- a time frame. I mean, we're, we're talking about having two points per game in 12 games in the playoffs. Now, you know, double that length of time last season, but this season he still did take his game up another notch. And it wasn't just the offense either. It's the other parts of his game that were shining through as well. I mean, he's become a more physical player, a more defensively committed player. Uh, he's gotten better on faceoffs. So it's not that he just raised his game offensively. He's raised all facets of his game. Yeah, well, yeah, he really has. I mean, it's he's um, he he's just been phenomenal. What's his plus minus for the? Uh, you know, I the mean, last I'm not a big plus minus. minus. That's plus, plus 19, 19, I think. Plus, plus is it plus 19? Okay. Yeah. Which is, you know, ridiculous considering, you know, I mean, that was a big deal. I, I'm not a huge fan of the stat, but, um, you know, on occasion, if, if it fits my narrative, I'm happy to use it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and in well, this you know case, what? I mean, you look at Goudreau, who was a minus three uh, for the playoffs and, and McDavid, who was plus 19. I mean, he's on the ice for more goals for than he is against, right? Yeah. Uh, significantly more. Um, and even though multiple Flames players and their coach, Daryl Sutter, said that they got beat by one guy, that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, McDavid is the best player, but the Oilers have far more talent than they typically get credit for. And Leon Dreisaitl has matched McDavid step for step in the playoffs this year. I mean, he tallied four assists in the game five victory, his second four assist game of the series. Uh, what can you say about Dreisaitl's performance in the Battle of Alberta? Oh, I, I like it. Is this not the biggest overlooked performance that anybody's ever had? Like, like I, I, I feel genuinely, I, I know uh, Dreisaitl, I don't think he cares if I'm being honest. Um, but, you know, the first year he scored 50 goals, I felt like the following season he was the least talked about 50-goal scorer 
probably in the history of 50 goal scorers. And Even this year, it seemed like when he hit 50 goals, it was <laughs> just like a, a footnote compared to when Matthews hit the milestone. <laughs> no. um, and, and they were Thanks. within they were within a week of each other too. And to just to have these two big moments, and yet one is getting so much more publicity than the other. And, and I understand that uh, a Leafs player hadn't scored 50 goals in a long time and that it is Toronto. So there's going to be some extra attention given there anyway. But I just felt that Dreisaitl was really undervalued there in terms of what a great season he had. Yeah, 100%. He, he just, you know, he sits there and it. this is not, we're not talking like Rob Lowe type of stuff. Uh, Rob Brown, sorry. You know, where he's, where Rob Lowe. Uh, well, Rob <laughs> we're not Lowe talking was... about him either. <laughs> Uh, but you know we're not talking he, he about did a play guy a that, hockey player in a movie. <laughs> that, that, that's right. That's right. But we're we're you know we're not talking about a guy that you know sat and and just sort of shot the pucks in the net uh, from a Lemieux pass, right? We're talking about a guy that drives his own line when he needs to, a guy that's out there you know making the primary assists when he needs to, uh, a guy that was on the boards in overtime and. And does what everybody knows he's already going to do, which is, you know, uh, circle away and still gets it done time after time after time. And we know he's injured. We know he's playing injured. He just goes out there and he gets it done. And and when he's not injured, he's also a, one of the best face-off guys. He's, he's batting pucks out of the air. The only thing he doesn't do that McDavid does is fly down the ice on the wing. And He's got good straight line speed. He does. He does. And, but he does. His hands are not enough. as flashy as, as McDavid. No, no. And, and his hands are good enough that he can still turn a defenseman inside out. But the difference is, is that Connor will always try to beat the defenseman wide and then cut towards the net for a, a glorious scoring chance. Whereas Dreisaitl will slow down a bit after he crosses the blue line and then make that one really nice move to, to get past him. They're just, they're not the same player. They're, they're different, but they dominate uh, nonetheless in their own way. The players recognize both of them this year in yeah. the, in the survey. And, um, you know, and to me, that's probably what matters most if I'm a player you know, is, is looked at my peers, the, the folks that play against me, they understand just how good and uh, good I am. And, and dry being recognized as the best passer in the league, uh, for a guy that scores 55 goals. I, I mean, what can you say? Exactly. I mean, dry is a former MVP and scoring champion. And in my opinion, he's the second best player in the NHL, but because he plays on the same team as McDavid, I don't know if he'll ever truly get the recognition he deserves because the attention is almost always on McDavid and uh, rightfully so, I guess, but still Dreisaitl is a phenomenal player in his own right. Um, Oilers fans watch this guy play 80 times a year. We know how great he is. I mean, his hockey sense, his vision, his passing skills on both sides of the blade are all elite. Uh, he has a deadly one-timer from the right circle on the power play. And just look at the numbers he's put up in this series. Like he's 17 points in five games. I mean, those are prime Gretzky level numbers from the mid 80s. And the fact that he's dominating to this degree while playing with an ankle injury, it just speaks to how special of a player he is. And uh, McDavid's been the most valuable player in the playoffs so far, but Dreisaitl was the most valuable player of the series, in my opinion. 
Yeah, and you can't, and it's hard to argue that. And I, I think that, um, you know, the only reason we're not saying that is, is just like you said, because he's in the shadow of McDavid. I mean, all you've heard, right, is McDavid versus McKinnon. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, it, it, just look at Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. They were sort of the last generation's version of McDavid and Dreisaitl, or you could say McDavid and Dreisaitl are the new version of Crosby and Malkin, whichever way you want to look at it. But I don't know if Evgeny Malkin has ever got the respect he deserves either. I mean, in 2017, when they did that uh, 100 Greatest Players of All Time, he didn't even make that list. Meanwhile... Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane made it on. And, and some of that might be uh, the bias of they were winning Stanley Cups at the time. Chicago is a big market in the United States. Patrick Kane is a big name American player. Uh, but Evgeny Malkin has been so overlooked throughout his career. In 2009, when the Penguins won their first cup, it was talked about as Crosby's first cup. But people forget Malkin won the Conn Smythe Trophy that year. He was the best player in the playoffs. He's won two scoring titles and two MVPs. And it, he's just almost always viewed as Crosby's sidekick. And uh, now the dynamic duo of McDavid and Dreisaitl, it seems to be sort of the same way. Dreisaitl, like I said, I think he's the second best player in the league. But because he plays in McDavid's shadow, it just he's never really been viewed as that type of player uh, i think around the league yeah I, and and you know when when you played with gretzky it was is very much the same thing there were a lot of great players out there that that never got recognized until until after the fact or they went on and and did their own thing or gretzky left and, and messier led the well, team i think messier was appreciated when he was in Edmonton like the numbers spoke for themselves the way that he was such a, a physical beast and a competitor out there but his legend really seemed to grow once he got to Manhattan and was exactly with a star of the New York Rangers yeah yeah and 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 you never know I mean it might be a change sometime in the future in the tail end of their careers you know when when Maybe or maybe not. The two players aren't playing together at some point, and, and of course, we all hope that I'm I'm hoping that die an oiler, but uh, start to finish oilers. <laughs> yeah, and they could be. I mean, these guys are, you know, they're clearly super close, and and that's part of the joy of it, right? Uh, you know, I just yeah, we're we are. This is, you know, this is our dynasty years. You know, we're not. You know, I I don't know that. We're in dynasty dynasty territory for the Oilers because um, we still have to win a cup in that. But this is the this is very much like back in the day, you know, seeing some of these players. There's some pieces that obviously I think are still needed on the team, but to have two absolute superstars and and one guy who in McDavid who, you know, I think we can all agree is is one of the best to ever play the game. Yeah, and, and maybe uh, maybe yeah. glory years is is the better way to describe it, and and it's often talked that way about the '80s team as well. I don't know if we're going to ever see another dynasty in the NHL. I mean, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay could could be one <laughs> yeah. if they if they win yeah. three straight this year, they are a dynasty for sure. Yeah, uh, you could even say by modern standards, uh, winning back to back is is as close to a, a dynasty as as we've seen in uh, the last ten years. Uh, Pittsburgh did it as well, but it's very difficult to do in the salary cap era. 
Um, but just these are these are the prime years for McDavid and Drysdale. When we look back on this team. 10, 15 years from now, these are the years that we're going to remember. Um, and it does still excite me when I see how impactful of players Crosby and Ovechkin are in their mid-30s because I believe that McDavid will still be able to be a force when he's that age as well. But he might not be putting up 120, 130 points uh, at 35. Maybe he's only a 100-point scorer by that time. But that will still put him, you know, he'll still (laughs) be a top 10, maybe even top 5 player in the league. So it's not like he's going to turn 30 and his game's going to fall off. He's still going to be one of the best players in the league. But this is the time when he's so much better than everybody else in the league. And you want to capitalize on that and win a couple championships while he's at this level. Well, and and people will always think that, you know, these guys were born into superstardom. But the difference between McDavid and anybody else is, is how hard they work, right? That, that really their focus, their determination, their competitive level, a lot of it's mental. And having the athletic ability needs to obviously be there. But they work, you know, 10 times harder than anybody else to be at the level they're at. And that's how I think a guy like McDavid, if he, slow, if he slows down when he gets in his 30s, I really feel like he's, he's that committed to the game that he will change his game so that he continues to be the top player in the league or a top player in the league. Um, and that's just the way, that's just who Connor McDavid is. He'll, you know, look at dry settle, right? He, yeah. you know, he's playing on one leg. He's changed his game a little bit in these playoffs. Obviously. I do he's think he's getting to, closer right? to back to full health. I don't think yeah. he's there yet, but he looks a little bit more dynamic skating did. with the puck than he did. Let's say in game one or two. Um, the other thing with Connor is, just going back to the overtime goal he scored, one of the things that I think makes that goal even more special for him is everything that he's been through in the last seven years. Uh, the Oilers have made the playoffs four out of those seven years, but he hasn't really experienced much team success. It's been a lot of early exits. And <clears throat> the other thing is he's endured some pretty devastating injuries. I mean, he missed half of his oh, rookie yeah. season with a broken collarbone. Uh, there was the the torn MCL at the end of the 2018-19 season, a game that you and I were both at, uh, and took him six months to recover from. Mm-hmm. When you think about all the hours of work that he put in to get just back to playing, for him to score that goal, it it must have felt like nothing he's ever experienced before to uh, ex- just have this team success that, he, that he, he hasn't seen through the first six years of his career to, to finally get to this point where, you know, everything's starting to go right. And now they actually have a chance to go to the Stanley Cup final if they can get past the abs. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's he's definitely done it. I. My here's my my thought on it, though, like in and you and I have had these arguments. I I really felt like Tippett held this team back and I feel like we're seeing it now more than we've ever seen it. Like, I really I I think that this team is is always been the team we're seeing. But I like just look at McDavid, look at look at the videos you're watching of him after the game and and in game seven, the um 
the after the post game interview on the ice. And this is a McDavid we haven't seen before. Like we're not talking just the on ice, you know, the way he plays, but we're starting to see emotion out of this guy. We're starting to see smiles. We're starting to <laughs> like he he was almost in like in tears after game seven, right? The way he was talking. And yeah. and we're just we're seeing we're seeing it just a shows whole how much he wants guy. to win. Yeah, and and, and I how think happy that's, he is to be a part of this group. I think that has that starts from the top, and that starts from a from a guy that's not you know he understands the business aspect of the game, but Woodcroft just the way he speaks, the way he talks to the players about the players, you know it, it to me these guys are having fun, and I think that's part of it. I think um, they're they're still a young team. They want to go, you know, they, these guys are still young and in their prime, right? And they want to go all the way. Like I've never seen them look this way and this is a this is a culture thing and and some of it is additions the additions of Hyman I think sure helps Um, but those guys were there earlier in the season I just don't think we've seen this team smile like this and it might not seem like a big deal but I think it is a big deal it is and and I just want to say quickly I think that in 2019 Dave Tippett was the right coach for this team I I believe that they needed a veteran bench boss who could get them headed in the right direction again. You know, he fixed the penalty kill. He got them playing with more structure and he guided them to the playoffs in 2019, 20 for the first time in three years. Yeah. But I think that he had taken this group as far as he could. And that by the midway point of this season, it was pretty evident that a change needed to be made. And of course, it was the perfect timing for Jay Woodcroft to come up. He made a seamless transition because he's so familiar with most of the roster. And I, I just, I love the way that he approaches the game. I mean, even after uh, the Oilers beat the Flames, and if you remember, he did this after they, they knocked off the Kings as well. Before he starts answering any hockey questions, he starts by thanking the opponent for the series, acknowledging them for how hard Mm -hmm. they played and just um, giving credit to the other organization. We don't normally see that from coaches in their uh, post-game pressers. Um, And I don't know. I I just think that he is the right coach for this group at this time. He's a young, innovative thinker. And this is the the perfect guy to be leading the, the Connor McDavid Oilers. Yeah, there, there's not a coach, I, as I think about it, there's not a coach in the league that's like him, right? And, and I, I thought kind of the most interesting thing was uh, Sutter on the other side going going 11 and 7. Well, like, this is, I think he's copying Jake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, these are things well, that, like, not a lot of coaches have gone 11 and 7, but it's Jay's thing, right? And... You know, There's reasons for it too, though. I, I think there were, yeah. It, sure. I think that if he had the the six defensemen healthy that, that he wanted out there, that they would go in that direction. But because his fourth line wasn't playing very much, it gives him an opportunity to have an extra defenseman in there, especially when Darnell Nurse is dealing with some type of injury too. I mean, having a, a seventh defenseman can take some of the load off him. And mm-hmm. it also allows you to double shift McDavid and Dreisaitl with uh, the fourth line anytime you want to. And at this time of year, if you're in a tight game and you're able to do that, then 
getting them out there as much as possible is a is a huge benefit to you and, and obviously gives you a better chance to win. And then on the opposite side of it, if you have a big lead, uh, like they had earlier in the series, you can kind of dial back their minutes and sort of uh, give them more of the third period off because you know that at some point they're going to have to play a lot in the next round. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it's, it's brilliant uh, in its own way. Uh, and it's done the job and, and it, what it takes though, is, is the type of coach that knows how to put the right people out at the right times. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, there's, there's so many different factors that go into playing time in that instance that, you know, but here's the thing. I, I think this is worth talking about because, you know, you, you brought up Darnell nurse playing injured. He is, he is definitely injured like we watch dry sometimes it's hard to tell just how injured he is right you're saying because it's a core so muscle good. injury yeah and you're I mean, right dry can overcome it maybe a little easier than most players could nurse is clearly not as fast as he's as he normally is i mean when he's healthy he's one of the best skating defensemen in the league exactly but, you know we're not seeing that as much as of late and we haven't talked about it i, I haven't heard it talked about much i think he's played Pretty damn good for well, a guy. He scored that, a big goal last night. Yeah, the Oilers yeah. back in the game. Exactly. Um, and I just he's not as physical as he usually is either. Yeah. But he's played. Um, he's he's played well positionally, and he's done the job that he has to do in order to stay in the lineup and still be productive, uh, despite limitations, which are clear. Like I, you know, we've we've seen him almost be caught. Uh, on the backward, uh, going back, right? Like where guys were going to fly by him. It does scare me a little bit going into the Av series uh, because having not having his speed in that series, I think you know, is well, it's always a detriment. But he's done he's done so well to overcome it. I think he deserves more credit than I've than I've heard him get. Not that I've heard people talking negative. I just not a lot of people have talked about him. Yeah, and that's a good point too. Um... Uh, the Avs have a very fast team and, and the Oilers are going to be pressured hard going up against them. So if Darnell Nurse is anything less than 100%, which you know he, he won't be at full health in this series, it, it's going to hurt their chances. But um, they have to just find a way to counter that. And, and the Oilers have a good amount of team speed too, and they have to attack them just as hard as the Avs are going to bring it to the Oilers. Are you at all surprised by you know, speaking of this, like Duncan Keith has has brought taken up a ton of the load. You like know, he, I, when when they surprised. traded for him last summer, this is when you wanted Keith to step up. They didn't get him for the regular season; they got him for the playoffs because this mm-hmm. is a guy who's been on, I think, six deep playoff runs in his career, and to go to the conference final is nothing new for him. So he's used to these moments and we just have to hope that he still can take his game up even another notch. And there's going to be the odd time where he still does get beat wide or, you know, uh, a defenseman or sorry, an opposing forward might kind of get the the better of him in the corners or something. But, you know, he's not the player he was at 30. He's 38 now. But there's still that veteran savvy there and the, the good decisions with the puck that you feel so comfortable having him out there uh, at any time of the game. And 
I like him with Evan Bouchard because I think he's been a great mentor for him. I mean, there's a there's a 16 year age difference. That's got to be a, the the biggest difference uh, in age between D partners in the entire league. But uh, it, it's clicked. It's worked well for them, and um, I think that he was a, a a real positive factor for the Oilers in the series against Calgary. Yeah, and people are starting to. I've you know I've heard. I've listened to the analysts around the league. They're starting to say that Edmonton has a better defensive game than you realize. Like, they're starting to take note. Right? And I think I, Dave Manson deserves a lot of credit for that, too. I mean, he, he's oh yeah. he's done wonders with our prospects down in Bakersfield. And at age 55, this is the first opportunity that he's had to coach in the NHL. And so far, it looks like he's just continued to pick up right where he left off down there. And... Uh, get these guys headed in the right direction. And and that's another guy who played a multitude of roles uh, throughout his NHL career from a, a rougher, tougher defenseman to a power play quarterback, defensive guy, whatever they needed him to do. And I think that he's able to impart a lot of wisdom on uh, these younger defensemen on the Oilers. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, he's, he's definitely, uh, definitely made some changes. Of course, now he's going up against his son, <laughs> yeah, it should be. That should be exciting. I mean, that's um, that's pretty neat. That doesn't happen all the time. And no, and he's he's been yeah, he's done wonders with the defense to the point where, you know, I, you, there's nobody, even including uh, Tyson Berry, who hasn't been known for his defensive play. I think he's looked a lot better in this. He's series. Looked, he's looked great. I thought, like you know, I mean, he's he's still in in my mind a third pairing de- defenseman, but. He, you don't. I used to cringe when I'd see him in the defensive zone and get worried, uh, you know, about how he'd play. And and he just he's he's coming up with the puck. He's making good outs. He's he's doing the things that you want to see Tyson Berry do. And he's doing it um, not just on the offensive zone anymore. He has a unique role on the team where he's a third pairing guy at even strength, but he's the power play quarterback. Um, it, it just, he's a specialist, right? And you get him out there when you need him and that offensive ability that he has. I mean, this is a guy who led the league in points by a defenseman last season. Mm-hmm. So ob- obviously there's a lot of offense in his game when you can get that guy out there and uh, have him running on the power play with guys like McDavid and Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins, there's an opportunity to do damage. But you want to make sure that you don't give him the toughest defensive minutes at five on five and have him trying to defend against the other team's top attackers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I think they've done that well. I, I just... Mm-hmm. I feel like the line matchups, everything about the coaching staff, they're they're putting people in the right place to be successful. And and I think that's what you know, that's the only way you get out of look, going into this series, I I had Edmonton winning in seven as well. Um, but if Calgary had come out on top, I wouldn't have, I don't know that I to be fair, I don't know that I would have been surprised by it. Right. Like I did have Edmonton winning, but I would have, you know, Calgary, you know, over the reg- course of the regular season. And they looked like a big, big team, the kind of team built for playoffs. Uh, Edmonton had an answer for them. And part of it to me and part of the reason why 
nobody kind of gave Edmonton the credit that they deserved, maybe even including some Oilers fans give, gave them the credit, is because of that you stretch in the middle of the season that they looked awful and people didn't quite trust this team yet. No. And now they're starting to trust the team. But you go into this round, we're still, you know, Edmonton's still the underdog. Oh, they're even a bigger underdog than they were against Calgary. And um, and just going back to Woodcroft for a second, like you're right, he he does find a way to to put everyone in a position to succeed. And he's just from right from the start shown an ability to foster a positive culture for the players with an expectation of winning. And they've won a lot more than they've lost since he came back to Edmonton. Um, he did make an interesting decision. Uh, last game to break up the best line in hockey at the start of the second period when Woodcroft took Evander Kane off the top line and moved up Zach Hyman. Uh, Were you surprised that Woodcroft made that switch after how dominant the trio have been in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, there are things that Woodcroft has done, you know, since since he started with the Oilers that you know, I've questioned until after the game where I think about like he's 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 You're like, oh, that worked again. Yeah, he's a brilliant <laughs> tactician and he's thinking, you know, three steps ahead of me yeah. because that the the change with Hyman uh, and look, if anybody deserved it, Hyman deserved it. Right. Um, and if you're going to, um, you know, you want to put away a team and you want to load up a, a line. I mean, Hyman scored in every goal in the series, every game in the series. Yeah. Uh, and and he, you know, he's he's the exactly the depth scoring this team has needed for a long time. And I just I, like it's hard not to love the guy. You know, he he gives one hundred and ten percent every shift, and he's making stuff happen. Whether it's you know a five on five or or shorthanded. I mean, he's he's as much a danger to score shorthanded as the Flames know, <laughs> as he is in on you know five on five. Yeah. Like, and he had a breakaway too. Uh, was it uh, was it the other night or the game prior? But where he it was the other night, yeah. And he didn't score, yeah. but but I mean, <laughs> you know, well, just, I mean, even in the game when he scored uh, the the game winning goal on a breakaway in game two, he actually had a, another breakaway earlier in that game when he was stopped. So you know he's uh, that's one of the things I didn't know about him when he came to Edmonton is how good of a skater he was, and he's really impressed me because that wasn't really on the scouting report when we were hearing about Zach Hyman. Yeah, you know, and and I've heard, I mean, on man, I sometimes I listen to analysts around the league and and it just gets me frustrated that I, I feel like they don't watch enough Oilers games. There well, was I mean, a, there's there's factors here, right? I mean, yeah, smaller time. smaller Western Canadian city, not not a big name market. Uh, the fact that it's the games start later there and they just try to catch the highlights in the morning. But you know, you'd think with the two best players in the league, that some people out east would stay up and or pay a little more attention to what's going on in Edmonton. Well, yeah, absolutely. And and so to to my point, listening to NHL radio today, the uh, one commentator and I won't say who was suggesting that they would love to have Hyman's job and just tap in goals. <laughs> you know, from you know McDavid and and Drysital on the power play. 
I mean, he hasn't done that all year. And he scored shorthanded. And, you know, and, and, and. I mean, you haven't watched Hyman if that's what you think he does. Well, he, he scored two goals in the crease in this series, and those are the images that are probably freshest in their mind. So they just think that that's how most of his goals have been scored. But he's also come down the wing and ripped a couple past the goaltender as well. And fighting out from behind the net and, you know, scoring on Markstrom, big yeah. goal, you know. Um, yeah, like it's hard not to love the guy and love the, you know, the intensity in which he plays, what he brings to the culture of the team. Right. And, you know, talking about, uh, I talked about culture before. I mean, it's just such a, a great thing to see, you know, like, McDavid embracing Nugent Hopkins and that was and, a cool moment and his, um, you know, talking about Pugliarvi, right. And, you know, there's just so many things. And I think you got guys like Hyman that are glue guys, right? Yeah. Uh, that always goes, you know, a, a long ways. And if your glue guys are offensive producers, that means a, even more. And, and, you know, the Oilers were only trailing one, nothing when Woodcroft decided to switch up his lines, but Considering the fact that McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Kane had combined for 62 points through the first 11 games of the playoffs this year. <laughs> so crazy to hear that. I know, but I, I wouldn't have even thought about splitting that lineup. But Woodcroft must have seen something that he felt that he needed to change. And um, we, as we just talked about, most of his coaching decisions over the past three months have worked. And that change seemed to spark the Oilers' comeback in the second period. Uh, Zach Hyman was flying right from puck drop. And, and I think Woodcroft just saw an opportunity to elevate him in the lineup. And speaking of Hyman, you know, he, he's been one of Edmonton's most important players in the series. Uh, he had three points in game five. And as you uh, already said, he became the first player in Oilers history to score in each of the first five games of a playoff series. Uh, Michael, Hyman had an excellent regular season, but has he even exceeded your expectations in the playoffs so far? Oh, uh, yeah, he has. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I, you know, he, but not in the way that some players do. What he's done is he's just, what he's exceeded is the fact that he can play that way all the time, mm -hmm. right? Like there's a lot of players in this league that can play that way during the regular season. But when it comes to playoffs, which everybody knows is a whole different season there, that, that game, you know, disappears. Uh, true. And, and it's funny because he played for the Leafs, obviously, and we all know their first round woes. Um, so you might think that that's not there, right? But it, but clearly, it, you know, it might be the team, some mental pressure they're going through, whatever. Um, he's he's bringing it. He's bringing it the way we know Zach Hyman can. Yeah, and, and it is a different style of hockey. But I like that the Oilers really haven't changed the way they play. I mean, they're they're definitely more structured defensively since. Uh, Woodcroft came in, but they still want to play their run and gun offensive hockey that they like to play. And um, I think Dash even had a quote tweet earlier today uh, of a uh, of what John Tortorella said back in the fall, saying that you know you're not you're <laughs> yeah. talking about McDavid, saying you're not going to fill the net. You need to change the way you play to win in the playoffs. 
And McDavid's basically said, you know, we're going to go out there and we're going to score a bunch of goals and we're going to win five uh, four or five uh, three. You know, the, we're we're going to run it up. We're not going to play this tight two one hockey that everyone thinks that you have to play to win in the playoffs. That's that's not Oilers hockey. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. I I talked about this the other night uh, in my post game with the guys, and it was that. Early on in the season, you know, I had a lot of people come at me saying I was being toxically or toxic positivity <laughs> was used a couple okay. of times. And, you know, I mean, I'm and, an op- optimistic, positive guy myself. So oh, I think it's yeah. I think it's always better to be overly positive than overly negative. And I, I 100% agree. And and I've you know, I've had my times where, I, you know, I wouldn't say that I was super negative with this team, but I didn't think they were going to get it done or whichever. But it, early on in the season, you know, I, I, I said well, uh, many times that this was where and how, you know, this team was going to win and it was going to be. Um, you know, scoring five goals and and Mike Smith playing a Grant Fear type of game, which is just don't let in that you know fifth goal, right? Yeah, and I mean he doesn't need to be a a one point five goals against average. He needs to be one under whatever the other team is, and and everybody said that's just not going to happen in the playoffs, you know, and that's but it's it is happening. This is how the Oilers are playing. And if they continue to have that mentality that they, you know, which is, you know, we need to win and to win, you need to do it by one, one or more. They're going to do it. And as as long as I don't care if Mike Smith lets in a 150 foot goal, as long as he doesn't let in the one that matters. Yeah. And that's um, to me, that's a big deal. Definitely. And you just look at the guys that they've surrounded McDavid and Drysaddle with. These are are players who you feel like you can win with. I, th- I think this is the deepest roster that Edmonton has had, even despite that terrible stretch they had in the middle of the season when they went two eleven and two. I never thought they were as bad as that record was, and maybe they weren't quite as good as their sixteen and five record to start the season either. But you look at what this team has done down the stretch. I think that that's closer to the real Oilers and, and shown that, you know, under Woodcroft with this group of players, they they were a top five team in the league and that should be the expectation. And right now they're in the conference final where they, they should be. They've, they've played like a team that belonged to the conference final for the last three months. And, um, and just going back to Hyman, I mean, after watching him all winter, I felt confident that he was going to be an impact player for the Oilers in the playoffs. Uh, it's like you've mentioned, every, everyone says it about the guy. Like He never takes a shift off. He just does a great job on the forecheck to retrieve pucks and extend possession time in the offensive zone. Uh, so, you know, his line mates also really benefit from that gritty style of play as well. And uh, he can beat goalies with his wrist shot. But he also goes hard to the net. He buries rebounds in the crease, which makes him a real asset on the power play. And his defensive play is outstanding as well. And the Oilers had the best four forwards in this series, at least. And if Hyman was the fourth among them, he was still better than every Flames forward in the series. And and I think he was a key reason why they won in just five games. Yeah, and no credit to that, right? Like, no. <laughs> you know, I mean, the Flames didn't want to give him any credit. The analysts, you barely talked about him. 
they did on the, on the uh, Sportsnet panel. I'll give them that. Uh, the Sportsnet panel, I thought, was you know had some fair uh, analysis of them. But outside of outside of the guys that were staying up and watching the games, you know, you didn't hear and, hear Hyman talked about much. And at the same time, I'm happy that McDavid is getting. Uh, the admiration that he deserves because he is having a postseason for the ages and this is his time he should be the the main focus but if you think back to the 80s oilers that team was full of hall of famers those guys got talked about all the time as well yari curry paul coffee mark messier glenn anderson grant fear this team doesn't have a ton of Hall of Famers, but they still have some really good hockey players. Dreisaitl is probably headed to the Hall of Fame along with Connor McDavid, but Ryan Nugent Hopkins is a fantastic hockey player. Uh, Zach Hyman is a fantastic hockey player. Evan Bouchard is taking another step forward in front of our very eyes and developing into a top four, if not top two guy on the back end. Ryan McLeod, Another young player is continuing to just elevate his game at at 22 years old. I mean, just go up and down the lineup. You can see so many guys who are just playing the best hockey of their lives. And it's all culminated with getting the Oilers to this point where they're going to play one of the best teams in the league in the conference final next week. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I like I'm still... You know, when you say that, I'm still in shock. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it hasn't fully set in that on Monday night, the Oilers are going to be playing uh, in game one in Denver or that the Oilers are going to be playing in June for the first time in 16 years. I mean, I mean, I know they did play in August a couple of years ago, but that was because of the bubble. I mean, this is ge- this is legitimately making it to June hockey. Yeah, yeah. And, and um it's exciting. I, you know, I posted a picture of myself in an Oilers jersey and sandals the other day. I liked it with the foam <laughs> finger. <laughs> yeah, and and it just, you know, to be wearing sandals and cheering on the Oilers, man. I, I mean, I couldn't ask for anything more. I, I, and I'm loving the team. I'm loving what they're bringing night after night, and um, you know, we'll all have moments during the games where we're questioning what a player does or or how he does it but at the end of the day um they've delivered on the one thing that i want them to deliver on year after year and that's just to be competitive and and to show us that you know there's a chance and uh, while uh while i'd probably be very disappointed if they don't go all the way i'll still you know to me this has been a very successful season so far 100%. And we do need to enjoy this because conference finals don't come around all the time. But I don't want this to just be a one-off for this group. This should be the expectation now going forward where you expect to come out of the Pacific Division and battle for a chance to go to the Stanley Cup year after year. It's probably not going to happen every single year. Like Vegas is almost certainly going to be back next year better. Uh, the Flames, I don't know what their roster is going to look like, but you know they're, they're probably not going to be pushovers. Um, the Kings are slowly getting better. The Oilers are still going to have to fight to get to this point year after year, but now that we've had a taste of this and that you're seeing McDavid and Dreisaitl at their you know peak performance to this point, you want to be going on deep playoff runs and competing for Stanley Cups in this window when they're both at this, this, like I said, peak ability for them. I just think that 
that needs to become the norm for this group where we don't say, okay, making it to the conference final is fine. Like, no, we need to be making it to the Stanley cup final. We need to be winning Stanley cups. This is the time to do it with these guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there were points this year though, where I didn't think we'd even be at this stage. No, I mean, the Oilers were sitting in 10th place in the conference at the end of January. So, I mean, this was far from a guarantee if, if you go back five months. Yeah. Yeah. It was, well, there was a point at which I said the Oilers aren't going to make the playoffs this year. I never uh, did believe that. I, no. <laughs> I always thought they were going to get in. So so maybe the people who were saying that you were toxic uh, positivity didn't listen to that episode. Yeah, no, they missed, <laughs> they missed that one. Missed I mean, that. I, I was still being positive about the Oilers. Uh, yeah. But I really, I, there was a point at which I was quite certain that we were going to have to write the year off. Um, and I didn't like, I, and I, you know, at the time I was feeling a little bit down that, you know, Tippett was still behind the bench and, and we were seeing this team kind of just continue this downward spiral. Well, uh, it, it literally more- changed overnight. I mean, if you look yeah. at the stats, we were by win percentage, the third best team in the league in the regular season. Uh, just to uh, Florida was was tops. Calgary was second, and we were third. But the three those three teams were all over seven fifty from February eleventh on when he took over behind the bench. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and um, it makes and you wonder where you, this team would have been if they would have made the coaching change, say a month or a month and a half earlier. Well, if you count the playoffs into that, we actually have since he took over the best winning percentage in the league. So. You know, that's awesome. I, I mean, mean and part can't. of that is because one of the teams you knocked off was uh, the team uh, w- was the team ahead of you. So exactly. that obviously helps as well. And and the fact that Florida got swept doesn't does it, it doesn't not hurt help. us it either. Hurt them, but yeah. but I mean, obviously that benefits us. Um, but yeah, it's just it's been uh, pretty impressive to see. Uh, all right, let's talk about Mike Smith now. He stopped 32 out of 36 shots in the Game 5 victory, and Smith was able to shake off a rough outing in Game 1 where he was pulled after allowing three goals on 10 shots and responded with four straight wins. Michael, that wasn't Smith's best game of the series, but he was good enough to backstop to the Oilers, uh, backstop the Oilers to the win, I, I should say, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, and I, you know, I keep saying it, you know, it's... That's exactly how Fear made a Hall of Fame career, right? And yeah. um, you know, I, I'm not sure Mike Smith is in that same category, but although he was wearing his Grant Fear mask, in he that was, game. and he's, you know, he's channeled inner Grant Fear. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he has made all I've ever asked from the Oilers goaltending is that they make the saves when they need to make the saves, and he's done that. And you know what I what I love most, and I've been critical of Smith that many times. Uh, in his career as an oiler. Uh, but what I love the most about him is his ability to bounce back. I mean, you look, we we all know about a guy that wasn't able to bounce back in, in Sallow, right? I mean, once he had, he let in the bad goal, he was never the same. Right. Uh, Mike Smith, on the other hand, he's done it uh, a couple of times this yep. uh, this playoffs and he just continued to bounce back. I mean, he, he wasn't, he wouldn't uh, sit there and, uh, while we, while it looked like it, it's, it looks like he's <laughs> complaining about it. I don't, it's not him. What he's doing, what he does is he, you know, he takes that and says, look, I, you know, I let this one in. I'm not going to let the next one in. And, 
and as long as he continues to do it that way, uh, this this is not. If you take Vasilevsky out of the equation right now, this has not been a, a goaltender's playoffs. Like this has been definitely quite a bit different. Um, he leads. He leads, for instance, uh, in shutouts right now with two over everybody. And if you look at the goals against average, um, you know, and you take Benning, Bennington and Ottinger out. Uh, and Ranta, right? Everybody's over two, two point two point oh. Uh, Darcy Kemper's two point four four goals against average, right? Mike Smith is two point seven, but he's right up there. I just think you know he's done. He's done everything I would ask of him. Uh, I would feel I feel confident with him in that. I I don't get that same feeling that you know he's. Look, he's got an unorthodox style that always makes me a little bit nervous. But at the same time, um, there were times in the season where I was just scared when the other team took a shot. Now I don't have that same, same fear. He he just, I just believe now that he'll make the save that he needs to make. Right. And, And I'm sort of on the same page as you. Like one of the things that I love about Mike Smith is that nothing phases him. Um, I mean, he had a very costly mistake in game one against the Kings, but he owned up to it and he moved on. Um, he allowed a goal from over 130 feet away earlier this week in game four, but he shook it off and closed out the series two nights later. And he posted an impressive 922 save percentage in those four wins over Calgary. Mm -hmm. And this was against a team with 340 goal scorers in the regular season. Uh, Michael, we know Smith is an intense competitor who doesn't need anything or anyone to light a fire under him. But do you think there was any added motivation for him to beat the Flames because they are his former team and because the Oilers heavily pursued the goalie at the other end of the ice, Jacob Markstrom, in free agency a couple of years ago? Yeah, I. the players always sort of laugh that stuff off. But, you know, if you ask any of the old Oilers, they hated the Flames. And once the rivalry kicked in and the fans were there, they hated them even more. I think I I don't think it's unique to Smith. I think this whole team really wanted to beat the Flames. Like, I, you know, I think they, you know, they had something to prove. And 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 the other, you know, aspect to that is everybody was taking the flames, including Wayne Gretzky's including NHL Gretzky, bracket, yeah. bracket, right? And so, you know, I mean, this this is a team that knew they they could compete with the best and they and they just needed to show it. And they did it. And in fact, they beat L.A. And what was everybody saying? Well, it was L.A. Right. Like, I, you know, they're not immune. They hear they hear all of these things. They're not deaf. They hear what's going on out there. And I think that they all had something to prove. But definitely for Mike Smith, uh, I think he I think he really has a hatred for that franchise. Like he, you know, if there's it just is one of those things. And and he's, um, you know, it goes back to his fight with Cam Talbot. Exactly. (laughs) In January of 2020. We should, we should um, you know, I mean, talk about, like, how happy he is to be an oiler. Yeah. Like, I think he, you know, there's a guy that really loves being an Edmonton oiler player. Well, the other thing is, he's 40 years old. I know he signed for next season, but he realizes that he probably doesn't have too many more kicks at the can <laughs> to try and win a Stanley Cup. So, he's going to take 
every opportunity he can to get that done this year. I mean, it, it was 10 years ago the last time he made it to the conference final with the Coyotes. That was at age 30. Here he is now at 40. And, you know, who knows? Maybe this will be the last good shot that he'll have because the Oilers could either have a new goaltender next season or he might be mm-hmm. the backup. So you got to take advantage of this while you can and and have a chance to backstop the Oilers to their first championship in more than three decades. I mean, he might just decide to call it a career if that happens, but um, I don't think Smith would ever come right out and say that he wanted to beat Markstrom because the Oilers tried to sign him in 2020, but I think he would want to prove it to himself and possibly the Oilers brass that they made the right decision bringing him back. And even though even though the Flames only got five pucks past him in game five, uh, four were the only ones that counted. Uh, I want to go to the, the controversial goal with you now. Uh, Blake Coleman thought that he had the go-ahead goal with less than four minutes to play in regulation, but after video review, that goal was disallowed when it was determined that he kicked the puck into the net. Uh, Michael, this has been a very hot topic among hockey fans on Twitter over the last 48 hours. In your opinion, should the goal have counted? Yeah. I, you know, I'm going to give you everything I think about this goal uh, okay. right now, rather. And, and first a, yes, I think it should have counted. I got no, I got no problem with any flames fan who doesn't like the call, but here's in, in my mind, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that are at play uh, the importance of that goal is far overvalued by Flames fans who were down three to one in a series in a game that still had six minutes left against a team that has been scoring five goals against Markstrom and since had the made beginning multiple of the, count comebacks. Against exactly. Yeah. So, you know, to say that was the momentum swinger in this in this series, you know, is, is laughable to compare it in any way, shape or form, which I saw a certain flames writer talk about, uh, comparing it to a, you know, the Tampa Bay, uh, disallowed goal, you know, is, is ridiculous. They're not, they're not even the least bit comparable now as a, as a flames fan, you know what I'm going to, I, I, you know, I would say to any flames fan, the Oilers had two goals, disallowed in was it game three and they just came back and they continued to score because that's that's what good teams do in the playoffs they don't let you know that that doesn't define them a disallowed goal they continue to move on from it and the Oilers and the Oilers were capable of doing that had it happened the other way I have no doubt the Oilers would have just shook it off and gone and scored again anyway yeah and so the, it's not like the Flames didn't have a chance to score after that and win the game. This was not the goal that tied the game. It was the goal that put them ahead. And so, you know, they all they needed to do was score one more to win the game. They weren't good enough to do it. And, and so to me, you know, it's been talked about far too much. It's a, uh, it was a, you know, as I said, it was a three to one series in a series that, you saw the Oilers score 25 goals in five games. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't as close as Daryl Sutter and the Flames media would would have you believe. The Oilers 
the Oilers won this series, and it was fair and square. And and to think that anybody would suggest that McDavid's getting calls hasn't watched enough McDavid. No, not nearly enough. And, and look, Flames fans will say that the goal should have counted because Coleman didn't swing his foot back and kick the puck into the net. But the way that the NHL rulebook describes a kick is by a player propelling the puck forward with their foot. And Coleman definitely made sure that he directed that puck into the net when he crashed hard uh, into Smith. The way that I looked at it, it was probably going to cross the line anyway. But he made sure, he gave it that little extra nudge when he was flying forward to make sure like uh, that that puck got over the line. And, and like you said, even if the goal counted... There was no guarantee they win that game, let alone the series. I still believe that the Oilers would have won the series. Uh, if not that game, then the, uh, the game that would have been played tonight, game six at, back at Rogers Place. Um, you know, Calgary did surrender multiple leads on home ice in this series. There's no reason to think that they wouldn't do it again. And uh, they just, they simply couldn't stop the Oilers' big guns in this series. Edmonton was the better team and they deserved to win. Absolutely. And and that's to me is is the disappointing thing about it is that there would be there are seemingly some people who think that this, you know, was a momentum swinging goal. Um, And I just, you know, I I can't see it that way. It was, um, you know, the the best team won the series uh, and it was it it was a 50 50 call. Uh, Hey, if I was if if it had gone against the Oilers. I would have been upset. I was upset about the goal disallowed uh, when Connor apparently interfered with Markstrom. I was upset about the whistle that went too early with Lee uh, behind the net and looked like Hyman put the puck in the net. You know, but the Oilers did what good teams do after those disallowed goals is they went back and they scored some more. Well, they tilted the ice. If you remember, like the last five minutes of the third period, the Oilers had multiple chances to score. And you would have expected that the Flames would have used that disallowed goal as motivation. It was like the other way around. The Oilers, it was like a wake-up call for them. And, and they they were the ones that got going and ultimately ended it early into the overtime period. I, I when, they were, when they were reviewing the goal, I, I thought it would go against the Oilers. I thought they would you know, automatically review the goal and, and that it would be considered a goal. And at the time I put a tweet out, I said, just let's play some hockey. Like, (laughs) and I said, Markstrom has five goals in him, (laughs) right? Like, you know, we're, he has many other nights. Yeah. We're going to come back and and tie this up. Um, You know, I, I jokingly tweeted out after that, you know, I'm a little bit upset that the, the goal was disallowed too, because, you know, Connor didn't have his chance at a multi-point game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, I'm like, I feel like he probably would have scored or assisted on the game tying goal and then scored the game that winner. In overtime. He's record. Right? Yeah. So at least tying you know, it. But, um, but no, I mean, I, I just think getting that, uh, that overtime goal, it's, it's going to be one of the things we'll remember most from this season the goal that sent them to the conference final and the fact that Connor did it. I mean, you, you couldn't have picked a, a better guy to score that goal. No. Um, but before we call it a night here, uh, we've got something new and exciting at the heavy hockey network. And I wanted to know if you, you would share that with us. 
Yeah, we sure do. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, you know, we've, um, of course, we've been doing a lot of different things at, uh, on, on the Heavy Hockey Network and, and just trying to be uh, put out good content, whether it's, you know, your podcast or straight off the pipe with uh, Dursa and, and Dash and, and or my Oilers Live podcast or, or the many different articles that you and, and Lotsi and everybody are writing. Um, you know, I just... It's it's been a ton of fun, and of course, you know, there's um, we just wanted to add in a little bit extra into there, and that's uh, you know, put up some nice new gear and stuff, and and so in honor of uh, the Oilers beating the Flames, you know, we um, acquired the domain didtheflameslose.com. <laughs> Uh, and also we, uh, we also have heavy which is where you can go and there will be, uh, we'll add to it, but right now there's some battle of Alberta champions, uh, hats and shirts and one guy, uh, hats or shirts and hats. And, and then, um, probably the most popular, uh, thing right now actually is the heavy hockey flat bill cap. Uh, is pretty popular and then there's you know some other things um, Hudson Bay rules dot com also goes to the site where you can buy um, if you're not familiar with Hudson Bay rules it was a a term coined by uh, Trent Yanni who was behind the bench for the Oilers at one point and it was in reference to how they played hockey in Hudson Bay Saskatchewan which is no rules hockey (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and so you know I've always loved that phrase and and so Hudson Bay Rules is on there. Um, another popular shirt is the Summon the Bison shirt in reference to uh, Jesse Pugliarvi and and kind of like a Batman type of theme. So uh, awesome. some great stuff on there and and uh, we're gonna add more. Um, I know you and all the guys are are coming up with uh, with t-shirt ideas all the time and. And we're just going to have some fun with it, and hopefully people will find something they like and and or make a request. Um, we'll probably put up some uh, 99 Forever merch, I would imagine, uh, shortly. And um, That would be cool, too. Yeah. All, all I can say is that everything I've seen on there before looks great. Uh, anyone listening to the show, please go check that out. Um, I'm sure you'll find something on there that you like. It's it, it's good quality stuff, and uh, Michael does uh, fantastic work for this podcast and devotes so much time. So please, you know, go uh, check everything out. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to quickly talk about uh, before we we sign off is uh, Ben Steltler, Stetler, sorry, who mm-hmm. uh, you know has been the Oilers' good luck charm uh, throughout the regular season and into the playoffs this year. Uh, he celebrated his sixth birthday yesterday. I'm so glad that the Oilers were able to get the win for him in Calgary to have him celebrate that birthday with a, a big victory over the flames. Um, can I just get a thought from you on what he has meant to not only the players, the organization, but the city of Edmonton and hockey fans everywhere. Yeah. I, you know what? I remember, when his dad Mike put the first video up of of Ben as just this young you know little boy putting the puck in the fun net at home and who wanted to meet his hero and, and I love that know, video was, yeah and he was you know he's going through um, just starting his journey um, and mm-hmm. what an incredible uh, and difficult journey you know uh, this young guy's going through um, there's just so much I mean it's Look, he's he's um, 
I think he's inspiring to everybody. And, and, uh, you know, if you got to have the hardest heart not to be inspired by him. Um, and I just love that, you know, he's, he's the embodiment of every Oilers fan, right? Like we're just there, you know, cheering on our team, but you know, he, um, he does it with a smile on his face, despite what he's going through. And, and I think we all love hearing his, um, you know, play La Bamba, baby, and the way he says it and how cute it sounds and everything about it. I I don't know if you're aware, but they're doing um, a little uh, cancer donation and uh, you get an entry uh, to win a Connor McDavid and a Ben uh, Stelter signed Heroic Inspirations card by Upper Deck. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and there's... Um, you ju- if you just go onto his dad, uh, Mike Stelter's uh, Twitter, you can find it. Um, but it's been it's been outstanding. I, this team has so much to play for. Whether it's Joey Moss, uh, Ben Stelter, um, uh, Cave, uh, you know, it's. Um, you know, I, I think I'm missing um, missing some people there, but um, there's lots for this team to play for, and and he's just one of them. But what an inspiration. Absolutely. I mean, no one should have to go through uh, what he has experienced, let alone someone at such a young age. And to see all the things that he's been able to do uh, over the past couple months, like stand on the blue line with his hero, Connor McDavid, in full Oilers gear, get to go to a morning skate with him and score a goal and Miko Koskinen, get his own upper deck card, um, just have the uh, McDavid and Drysaddle came over to his house and brought their dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go check out, like you said, his dad's Twitter account, uh, Mike Stelter, he's been tweeting lots of pictures and videos. Uh, there was, there's a great one of Ben's sixth birthday with a, a Mickey Mouse uh, birthday cake wearing an Oilers jersey that uh, Teresa's bakery or Teresa's cake, sorry, made for him. Uh, it's just he really is such a, a positive positive thing for this city right now. And um, like you said, everything, everyone from Colby Cave to Joey Moss to Ben Stelter, there's, there's no shortage of people to play for as well as each other. And uh, I can just picture if the Oilers won the Stanley Cup this year, having him on the ice for that celebration would just be a phenomenal moment. And I hope we get to see that. Well, there'd be, and I'm not just saying this, there'd be tears in my eyes if it happens uh, just to watch mm-hmm. that. Cause, um, you know, I've, I've, um, I've had friends lose, uh, some young children to, uh, various kids cancers and, um, it's heartbreaking to see, but, um, not that they, those kids, uh, weren't fighting, you know, the, the, just the fact that these kids, you know, do this, the hardest journey they'll ever take. Um, but they do it with a smile on their faces is, is so inspiring. Like he's just, just to watch him laugh and smile and, and cheer this team on is, um, man, it just, it gets you right. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like, you know, yeah. I, I went to game one between the Oilers and the Kings, a game that Ben wasn't able to attend because he was in Disneyland with his family. But in the intro package that the Oilers had up on the Jumbotron, the biggest ovation that happened, even bigger than when they introduced Connor McDavid in the opening lineup, was when Ben's face was shown up on the Jumbotron saying, play mm-hmm. La Bamba, baby. 
the entire building erupted. So it just shows you there isn't an Oilers fan out there who isn't aware of this kid and what he means to the team. And uh, I just wanted to take a little bit of time here at the end of the show to acknowledge him and say, keep fighting, Ben. You know, we're, we're all pulling for you and uh, we hope you had a great birthday. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good thing that you did. Glad you did. All right, Michael. Well, I appreciate you being back on the show. Uh, I'm sure that uh, I'll have you back sometime soon. And whenever you need me uh, to be a guest on your show, I'll be there as well. Yeah, well, I mean, the the uh, invite is always there. And, and um, I think Dash is slowly creeping in on your record if he hasn't passed it. But uh, <laughs> um, I always love having you on the show. I, I'm going to track down our exact number sometime. <laughs> and, and, and thank you again. I mean, it's it's always uh, it's always great talking hockey with you. Let's uh, let's uh, before we uh, say goodnight, uh, I want to get your prediction. Uh, how many how many games and who wins the Western Conference final? Yeah, well, I got to continue to go for the Oilers, uh, and um, I'm going to go in six. Uh, I'm going to say Oilers in seven. Right on. I think they're going to be pushed by a very talented abs team. But, <laughs> Colorado is uh, outstanding. They but I, I just think that this team is, uh, is, is destined for something great this year. I agree. All right, Michael. Thanks again. Have a good night. You too. So for Michael Hebert, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever Podcast. We're out.